And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL executive. Welcome to this holiday edition of the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, senior writer from the Athletic, along with Randy Mueller, former exec of the year. And Randy, um, happy holidays to you. Excited for the show. We got two more weeks of the regular season. We got some great topics today, too. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Happy holidays to you as well. Looking forward to these last couple weeks as we wind down our season. And and uh, really, yeah. uh, the play the next couple weeks are kind of what we all line up to see. You know, we talk about it all season long, but now it gets down to uh, live bullets and, and, and real repercussions. And it's going to yes. be fun these last two weeks. It does. So today, just real quick off the top before we dive in, we'll talk about the Steelers' third straight loss. I mean, I think that was the big one coming off early this week. Uh, now they've lost to the Bengals. We got our Pro Bowl snubs, maybe some mistakes. That's pretty topical. Uh, we really want to get into the Jalen Hurts situation in Philly, I and mean, that is interesting. A lot of ramifications there. The Panthers fired their GM. It wasn't just any sort of GM commentary either by the owner of Carolina. We'll get into GMs in, in general. I did a piece recently on all 32. We got our Week 16 picks. We got a good Ask the GM today that deals with Marcus Mariota uh, and the Raiders situation. First, though, Randy. Yesterday, really sad news uh, early this week. Kevin Green passed away at age 58. Hall of Fame pass rusher. He was a pro bowler for three different teams. And then the fourth team he played for, San Francisco, he had 10 and a half sacks in his one year with them. So hmm. if you needed somebody to get after the passer, he was your guy. Also, just a really colorful character. He did some pro wrestling. You know, he was spent 16 years in the Army Reserves, was like, you know, tank commander type stuff. I mean, he was kind of an action hero <laughs> to yeah. me and Randy. What did you think when you heard the news on Kevin and, and just your reflections on him? I think I'd be yeah. interested in hearing. I mean, it, it was it was sad for sure. A couple of things jumped out at me right away. When I was at the Dolphins, um, Dom Capers was our defensive coordinator for a year or two in there. And of course, he's very close or was close with Kevin. And he had him come in to help our pass rushers. And, and really, more than anything, it was because he and, and we as a group wanted Kevin around. You know, it yeah. was his infectious personality. It was his motor. It was just the fact that you want this guy in your building and around. And and that's led to a really great career that Kevin had. And it took me back also to when when this happened yesterday, my first year in scouting or second year, it was really early in, in my scouting career, going to the, uh, the Big A in Anaheim to scout the uh, Rams in preseason. John Robinson was even their coach at the time. But I remember this kid from Auburn, fifth round pick, came out of the gate flying in the fourth quarter. You know, and you sit around those preseason games, you can't wait till the fourth quarter, right? Because that's when all the kids play, all the guys who you never heard of play. And you're just hoping to pick somebody out. And I think Kevin made three sacks that first night. It might even have been four, but 
Yeah, I had all kinds of notes. It was crazy. I thought, gosh, this guy'd be great in Seattle. We'd go back and get him. Well, not so fast. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what he did there is what he did at Auburn and what he did for 15 more years in the NFL. And his moves were, were picked by him. <laughs> they weren't, weren't really teams uh, shit, shit, putting him out, out to pasture. And so his passion that he showed in the very first exposure I had with him in a preseason game was what got him through his whole career. And, and to be commended and, and somebody we all kind of knew and loved and and really respected more than anything else. So yeah, it was a it was a sad uh, sad sad news to get uh, yesterday. That's for sure. Kevin Green in 1988 was playing for the Rams, and he was a great. I mean, like you know, like when in pro wrestling, when Mean Gene Okerlund would interview the wrestler, and then it would get increasingly the wrestler would be increasingly excitable with big yeah. veins going. That could be like a regular interview with Kevin Green, yeah. not fake. You know, wrestling, oh, obviously. Oh, yeah, there was some yeah. Hulk Hogan yeah. uh, Hulk attributes Hogan, right? in there. So yeah. he was yeah. not afraid, to, playing for the Rams back then in the old NFC no. West. Well, it's the same NFC West in some respects. But the Bill Walsh and the 49ers were the standard, Joe Montana. Kevin Green could care less. I mean, he was talking yeah. smack about the 49ers. And we're going to come in and we're going we're gonna to get after him. And he, in a game one time, had four sacks of Joe Montana in the first quarter. And it was a game, it was kind of one of these weird games where I think the 49ers found out that day they had clinched and the Rams needed to win to get to the playoffs. So if you ever had an emotional imbalance with Kevin Green, you yeah. just might give up four sacks in the first quarter. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly and what happened. he happens. might slap you upside the head when he came off the field if you were on his team. You know, yeah, that's just yeah. the way he played. So yeah. the Steelers could use Kevin Green um, right now. They could use a lot of things. We watched them lose to the Bengals. And I think with some of these games, you know, even when a team like the Bengals maybe gets ahead 7 or 10 or 14, even 17 like it was in this Monday night game, you sort of know that inevitably, you know, the better team is still yeah, going to back. They're gonna yeah. come back. I don't really feel that. To me, the Steelers are like the opposite of the Bills to me, where like the Bills have this amazing young energy. And they just yeah. passed them, by the way, in the AFC. And it's joy. And they're on the rise and they're getting better. And you can yeah. see what's going on. And the Steelers feel like they're backsliding. This isn't just three straight losses and, and Tomlin's going to rally the troops, is it? I mean, this is real yeah. <laughs> problems. It's a, it's like the demise right in front of our eyes. You know, I can't believe we're talking about 11 and 0 a month ago. Yeah. And now three straight. And I thought, you know, maybe the first two losses and I was maybe guilty of this. I don't know what the term is, but I thought those first couple losses could be attributed to the schedule changes, you know, that the COVID game with the Ravens that got pushed back two or three different times. I think you could make a case that they're, that the Steelers were just off, you know, and out of kilter those first couple, but after seeing last night, I don't know. I mean, they have some bigger issues now that maybe we didn't all see coming, but have hit them flat in the face. And again, it's another example of 17 weeks in the NFL is a long time. You can go from a bad team to a good team to a great team. You can go from a great team to an awful team to a rebuilding team all during 17 weeks. I mean, it's an eternity, right? And I think we've seen that. We saw the Bengals last night really in my opinion, almost kind of disrespect them. They weren't worried about them at all. They came up and pressed their receivers. They took the run game away from them. They weren't worried about any receiver running by them, and they weren't worried about the Steelers running the ball. And thinking about the quarterback for the first time, really, in front of us, looking 38 years old. Yes. So I felt like since he just kind of came and smothered them and and said, we're going to risk it, you know, and, and maybe some of that is the fact that the Bengals have nothing to lose and that they played like that. 
But I thought it was more of a referendum on the Steelers than really the Bengals. Yeah, I agree, and I've been feeling with them all season, even when they're you know, even when they they had the great record, they've not been explosive in the passing game. Most of the good teams are, you know, and I don't so, think they've been explosive in the running game either. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. And I, but I think those things are a little bit related. And when I look yes. at one of the things that's interesting to pull up is just you know, what are the quarterbacks' production using play action. And look, you don't have to have Derrick Henry in an amazing running game to be good at play action. Sometimes your formations, your your personnel, you don't even have to run the ball a lot to be good at play action. But they don't even try it. I feel like they have slowly evolved away offensively from... Remember when they used to maybe have a little bit more structure with a with a strong offensive coordinator, right? What, mm-hmm. They sort of had Todd Haley or a Bruce Malarkey. Arians, they, they Malarkey, had, yeah, all those guys, a right. Ken Wisenhunt. They had an identity, yeah. yeah, a Wisenhunt. Those are the types of guys that like they're going to tell Ben Roethlisberger and everybody how the offense is going to be, right? And, and we're going to have an identity and we're going to change it, and we're not just doing it the way Ben wants to do it or whatever. And I feel like what's kind of happened there is it's evolved to be Ben Roethlisberger offense. And so he's standing back there in the shotgun snap and there's not really an under center run game. And there's now you, we don't even have a play action. They don't even try play action. It's the number one way in the league to get explosive plays, which you have to have, you have to have sort of cheaper or 30 yard plays. They can't do it. And I think it's hard to go 14 plays and score a touchdown in the NFL. (laughs) Yeah, especially when you're down 17 to nothing, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, they, right. they go down 17 to nothing and they have a touchdown drive that's like five and a half minutes. So right. I guess what I'm saying is I don't see an easy fix. I thought they tried coming out of halftime to you know run a little more, and they they did that. Maybe that's what they have to do is somebody now, Tomlin, or, you know, has to be able to grab the reins of this thing and say we're going to yeah. play a different offensive style. Right. Does Connor coming back change it for you if he comes back? I mean, no, not at all. Not okay. at all. Kind of a slower, plodding, tough guy. But I don't. He doesn't bring any juice that's going to scare defenses. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to admit their their defense is not the same. The defense carried these guys through the first half of the season, even when they had a, an off day offensively. But you know, no Bud Dupree, no Devon Bush, Joe Hayden hasn't been right. You know, and, and up front. Their offensive line is getting pushed around. It's not the Steelers' physicality at all. Oh, I know. They, they, yeah. yeah. I mean, for whatever reason. Yeah, they got two offensive linemen in the Pro Bowl, and we're going to talk about Pro yeah. Bowl snubs and stuff, but I'm watching the game. You know, Marquise Pouncey makes it at center. David DeCastro at guard, and the, my lasting images of those guys was hopping around with injuries, or, you know, uh, yeah. DeCastro hurt his, looked like he hurt his hand at one point in the game. Not pretty. What I came away, Mike, at the end of the day was, can they even win another game? Ooh. You know, they play the Colts, they play the Browns, right? I mean, can right. they win either game? Possibly, but they may not. I don't know how, well, with you, I don't think they can fix it quick enough. Well, here's the thing. So I'd been looking at this. I'd been sort of looking at Indy and Baltimore coming up for a couple of weeks because Indy has gotten sort of rich on a bunch of bad bad defenses. You know, I mean, they, yeah. they've played a ton of bad defenses. And I thought, well, they're going to finally play a really good defense in Pittsburgh. But maybe it's not as much of a good defense because yeah, we'll the Ryan Finley show, you know, is something <laughs> you should be able to contain if you're you would Pittsburgh think, yeah. either defense. So I'm with you. I think sh- that's a, a weird thing for a team to go from 11-0. and to eleven and three, and suddenly feel like they're going to be an eight and eight type team, and maybe a, maybe a one and done. So, I like to be the voice of reason and not overreact. But I feel like we're not overreacting. 
Right. So let's transition into in, into another topical subject, which, which is the Pro Bowl. And we know how that goes, Randy, from year to year. Sometimes guys make it and you go, what the heck? Sometimes guys don't make it. And I think then in the end, in recent years at least, it seems like everybody makes it. You know, in the end with the game being played and, and so-and-so gets named to it and you forget who even was a Pro Bowler. This year a little right. different. There's not going to be a Pro Bowl game. But when these teams came out yesterday – I think the first thing that I was scratching my head on, and there's several of these, but DeForest Buckner of Indianapolis has been, I mean, he was really good last year, but I thought there was extra attention on him because he went to Indy in a high-profile move. Their defense has become really good, what they hang their hats on, and the one game he missed, they couldn't stop Derrick Henry on any play. And so for him to not be part of it for me, when you look at the – at the AFC here, I mean, here's what I take from the yeah. Pro Bowl, and again, I yeah. I apologize, but I see it from the GM seat. It's become a popularity contest more than ever before. So inside NFL buildings, you don't hear and feel a lot of Pro Bowl talk as meaningful at all. And nothing against the fans. I'm glad the fans are involved in it. They obviously pay everybody's freight, but. They don't really know defensive line play and offensive line play because the normal person can't see it. So it's almost one that you have to study to get it. And you bring up a great point. DeForest Buckner is one of the best players in the league. I mean, it's not even yeah. close. Yeah. And for him not to be in the Pro Bowl is a joke. you know. But you have that happen a few times, and pretty soon you just disregard the Pro Bowl. And then when you put that together with, I won't say the lack of effort, but the lack of real football that happens in a Pro Bowl, it becomes a, a secondary, you know, back burner type event for anybody in the league. And so it, it's taken a hit in the last five or six years the Pro Bowl has. One, the voting has become way too popular. And two, the game itself kind of gave a little disrespect to the game, in my opinion, because the guys don't play hard. Yeah, I got two things off of that. One is Pro Bowl's clauses are still in contracts, Randy. And so yeah, if somebody makes it's the crazy. Pro Bowl, they make an extra 100000 or something. And that's always sort of been the case. Um, how do you feel about that? Why is that? I mean, why would you put that in there if it's such an arbitrary thing? Because it's always been there. But what I'd like to see is, and it's fine, it can be in there, but I think you should do this with the all-rookie teams too, Mike. In fact, I've talked with a couple of my comrades about this. Let's put an all-rookie team together. Let's put a Pro Bowl team together, put together by guys who do watch tape all day, every day, who get it. Not necessarily that have an agenda, so it can't be the teams, but an outside source or two to put together these teams that are like film room junkies yes. that can evaluate and, and put this together. Then all of a sudden we've got value. Then let's put this in our contracts. Let's re use this to determine big bonuses and everything else. But right now to determine bonuses on all rookie teams, and again, nothing against the media or the fans, they just don't get a chance or the opportunity to dive in and see this. And you're, you have it in all rookie clauses. You have it in all pro clauses. I don't like it, but I understand why the value has been there for years. It didn't always, it wasn't always like this. Yeah, I'm with you on that. The other thing you touched on about the you know quality of the game itself, I think there's been a fundamental change in players in some way. And I think uh, players now, and social media is part of this, the world's smaller, right, than it's ever been. Um, yep. uh, players are buddies with each other. They're rooting for each other. They don't oh, want to yeah. play in the game. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they don't want to play in the Pro Bowl uh, anymore. Right. It's and not get hurt and, and, and roll out my body. I get it. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to do that. And we don't have some natural animosity against some guy on a different team. Heck, we're right. all buddies, you know. And right. so, I mean, seriously, when you watch that game, people have played in much more competitive family Thanksgiving games 
It's embarrassing. It yeah. really is. I, I take it as a disrespect to the game, and I, I don't really blame the players. Yeah. I understand it. But yeah. I just I have I can't watch it because it's not football. It's, yep. Like you say, it's it's Thanksgiving Day touch football out in the yard. You know, That's with great, great athletes, yeah. I guess. But yep. The, and we, we got sidetracked here. No, Sorry, but we but don't yeah. have to talk. But you know what? We don't have to talk anymore about it. I mean, I have, I have some list of some guys. Unless you have one guy that you want to say was a snub or should be on there. We don't have to treat this that seriously. You know, we can move well, on. Well, I did. Yeah, I had a okay, couple guys got? that I think are worth talking about in that, you know, uh, again, it's 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 such a popularity contest that sometimes it's stats and numbers. And that's kind of the lazy way to pick all-stars yeah. because that's the way it is. But there are a couple guys that jumped out at me. For one, maybe more guys that made it that I didn't think <laughs> should make it, you know. Like even at Tunzel of the Texans, that offensive line has been killed all year long. And I don't think Tunzel's played great at all. But yet he gets voted in. And, and nothing against Tunzel. I get it. Another guy is Andrews Pete, the guard from the Saints. He's been called out by his coach and, and kind of been a weaker link all year long with the Saints. So these guys made the team. And, and I don't know how it yeah, happens. Yeah, what but, is with that? Yeah, you see a guy like... Mikael Becton, who I think is really a good player, playing left tackle, and because he plays for the Jets and they're a bad offense, I don't see anybody voting for him, even though I think he's a future, you know, Pro Bowl left tackle. Maybe it's a little early for him, but... Look, you talk about, need, you know, needing to have film people watch line play. I think Becton... I think all of us could see watching yeah, him. No I doubt. mean, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. He's but taking it's guys. the Jets, right? And, and they suck, so no one's saying anything about them, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's somebody that a, a story. I wish I could credit him, but this just came to my mind. Um, and, and the fan voting is only part of it. But this is funny. The fan voting ballot for players that have statistics, like a receiver or a mm -hmm. running back, I think the ballot uh, displayed in the order of their stats, right? So... Even though stats aren't everything, the guys with the most rushing yards would be at the top or the most receiving sure. yards. That would kind of make sense, right? I mean, the Pro Bowler mm -hmm. guys are probably going to be in that. The offensive line guys, I think, were listed alphabetically. And I'm, I apologize. I can't remember who did this study. It was a great thing. The best vote getters in that were the guys alphabetically. For a while, there you go. Talk about lazy. Yeah, talk about lazy because voting. they were at the top of the ballot. For yeah, fans, let's get this know. over with. Oh, this guy, yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, came yeah. up first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> uh, apologies to those fans who do take it seriously. We know you're out there. You're probably the ones listening to the show, but uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of other ones out there who are doing it for whatever. In fact, my my son was trying to let me get this right. My son was trying to vote for Yannick and Gakway to make the Pro Bowl. If Yannick Ngakwe made the Pro Bowl, it was going to hurt the Vikings, right? Is oh, that yeah, right? that's they, a long litany of, you know, seven degrees of separation in this Yeah, and yes. so my son being a Packer fan. <laughs> yeah. He was actually, no agenda there. I can see this coming. He was actually no going on there and voting for yeah. Yannick Ngakwe. He's like, Dad, I think Yannick Ngakwe is really having a great year. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> of course he, he goes, is. no, yeah. no, I think he's a Pro Bowler. I, was, I wasn't <laughs> getting what he was saying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't think Ngakwe is having a good year. He just wants to hurt the Vikings, so. There Crazy agendas. I, yeah. I will throw out one yeah. name that I did think should have been on there, and it was the tight end from the Packers, Robert Tonyan. He's yeah, an undrafted yeah, yeah. college free agent who I think has had a great year. Um, and again, I have nothing against Evan Ingram. I think Evan Ingram's a good player too, but you know, 54 catches versus 49. But Robert Tonyan has 10 TDs, right? He is a great red zone favorite of Aaron Rodgers. So he was a guy that I thought got left off. Maybe he eventually gets on, but well, I, I was yeah. kind of sad for him because I think he's had a great year. Yes, I saw somebody had a note on that side by side of him and Evan Ingram who made it, and it was wasn't even close. You know, Evan Ingram had whatever six or eight drops, and 
and right. Tunyon didn't have any or maybe just one, and then the touchdown production, uh, which I think, you know, have to tip our caps to the Packers on him because, oh, uh, no doubt. you know, I think there's been a lot of criticism of their receiver core, and some of that's justified, but 10 touchdowns is 10 touchdowns, pretty darn good for a really good team. Um, in Green Bay. I wanted to get to another hot topic in the NFL this week because this situation unfolding in Philadelphia, which, by the way, did the Eagles even have a Pro Bowler? I'm just going to do a quick search. Oh, yeah, yeah. They did. yeah, they did. They had Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox. So, yeah, some of those guys who are mainstays. But let's talk about Jalen Hurts' situation because and we, we know, big picture, Carson Wentz has a lot of money. We don't know what's going to happen um, with the coaching situation. But the team responds to the quarterback, right, Randy? I mean, no that that's something that is kind of intangible. It's not really in the stat sheet, but when you watch a game or you're in a building, right? I mean, you we, right. you've been in that situation where you maybe you even have a high draft pick, but the other guy is who everybody likes or whatever. Right. And then it comes right. down to how well you play. I mean, that's really going to be okay. it. But Wentz hasn't played well. What are the optics for you? You know, as we look at this, I think most people are like, "Ooh, Jalen Hurts had three touchdowns." Is that really it? Maybe it is, but yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, a great focal point and there are lessons throughout the whole process of really for evaluators and scouts, to be honest with you. I mean, let's face it. Carson Wentz, we all agree, is broken. He had to be replaced. That happened. So let's sweep that under the rug for now. Then you see a guy like Jalen Hurts come in. And I think the lesson for me in, in the optics for me to answer your specific question is you have to kind of rethink your criteria for evaluating players at times because it's not as a scout or a a GM or an evaluator. It's not always about skill set, right? Sometimes guys play better than they practice. Sometimes guys play better than their skills allow them. And sometimes they carry people along with them, like you said, because they are inspiring and because they can get the most out of others. I take the Jalen Hurts thing as one of those. I thought it was a a lesson in leadership and intangibles matter. And this is a great example of it. I kind of equated it to Dak Prescott. You know, Dak Prescott was a later round pick, not thought of to have NFL skill level per se. But you put him in a big stadium with bright lights and you you, you start to break down his intangibles and what he does under pressure. Yeah, that's hard to measure. You know, it's hard to measure in a scouting report for sure. And Jalen Hurts has kind of taken the play of the, let's face it, mediocre at best Eagles. And, and yeah, they're one and one under him, but he's all of a sudden given them a spark. You know, he's given them some juice. And it's not because of his arm. It's not because of his height. It's not because of his, you know, necessarily athleticism. It's kind of all of the intangibles that, that he gives you the vibe of. You, you sense that that locker room now has a little bit of life and a little bit of, hey, let's get behind this kid. That's hard to equate in a scouting report. You, you know, you, you know some, a lot of times I talk to a lot of people about quarterbacks, and a lot of times, sometimes the evaluation of a quarterback, any player for that matter, says more about the evaluator than the player. You know what I mean? You can kind of get patterns in it. But I, here's what I remember about Carson Wentz that I, I want to talk about is when Carson Wentz came out, many of the evaluators – loved him and responded to him as a guy and thought this is I remember being at the John Gruden quarterback camp John was never more excited about any of those guys I know he gets excited about a lot of them but but that was the guy he was most excited about sort of as a guy right and yet I haven't felt the Eagles have responded to him in that way at all I mean maybe a bunch of evaluators should play with Carson Wentz because they sure seem to really love him and the guy that he was coming out but I've seen two times now certainly with Nick Foles 
the team seemed to respond at least as much to Nick Foles, and we heard those things out of the locker room, whether it was true or not. I think there was something to it about does the team like or respond to Carson Wentz. And now a second time possibly here where they've clearly perked up with Hurts. And I know in some situations the backup quarterback's the most popular guy in your city. And in the end, if your starter plays well, none of it matters, right? We used to hear stuff about Russell Wilson. I think you pointed that out. You know, does the team respond and all that? But maybe there's something to that with Carson Wentz. Do you do you buy that? I mean, I'm sort of circling back. I think I brought this up before, but I mean, this is now two backup quarterbacks there where right. it seems like there's a better reaction to those guys. I want to know how he responds when crap goes bad. That's what I want to know. And specifically to your point on Carson Wentz, when you asked that question of him when he was coming out, it had never gone bad, really. Everybody can say that they had developed some hardships and and he had been through. He really hadn't. He hadn't failed. He hadn't been kicked to the curb. He hadn't done any of this stuff. Now compare that to Jalen Hurts. He'd been kicked to the curb. He had been benched in big Big times, right? In His, front of everybody. If you were just a casual fan, you yeah, knew about it. Yes. So so that's my point is that how is he when stuff goes bad? How does he respond? And I think it's more prevalent than ever when talking about quarterbacks. I want to know how thick his skin is. And I think what we're finding out in Philly is that Carson's skin isn't really thick. It's not calloused. Jalen Hurts is. He's a grinder. He's got some, I'm telling you, some Dak Prescott type intangibles that are hard to measure when you're breaking these guys down and stacking them on a draft board. It's hard. So that's the sort of the grit factor we've heard about in recent years, you know, applies to that position as well. Not just when you're trying to find the, you know, the free agent nickel corner, right? (laughs) Right. No doubt. And let's see if his, if, if what Jalen Hurts is, is sustainable. What let's just see. But what we've seen for two weeks Makes you believe that he has some of that grit factor, like well, you're talking about. Like what I think will happen is they'll have a he. They play. I think they play Dallas and maybe Washington, and and you know he'll probably have a decent game against Dallas. Probably be a harder game against Washington's good defense. And we'll get to the end of the year, and you'll sort of like what you saw with Jalen Hurts. You'll have questions about Carson Wentz, and we'll have a very interesting off season in Philadelphia. I'm not sure exactly what they do. Do you do you have a feel what they're going to do? Well, I don't think they have any choice in this case because of the reduced cap. They have to take the cap stuff serious. And obviously, Wentz's contract is going to preclude them from from having a lot of options. But what I think will happen is they'll have a quarterback competition come next training camp. And again, nothing wrong with that. But I I see that's the way this thing's going. If the same crew is brought back, you know, if the coach is back, if the GM's back, if all the same guys are back, then I see a quarterback, you know, competition of some kind. And it looks like that's where they're headed, in my opinion. And you and I both think Howie Roseman will be back there. He's got a special bond, looks like, with Jeffrey Lurie developed over a number of years. I do want to talk about uh, GMs. You know, I, I wrote a piece last week sort of stacking them by winning percentage based on how long each of them has been on the job, because it's hard to kind of compare GMs. This week, the Panthers fired Marty Herney, um, and it was sort of his second go around there. I think we sort of knew, you know, he wasn't going to be the long-term one there because there's a new owner who uh, has his new coach and wants to pair him probably with his new GM and all those things. So Marty Herney out, 27-35 and 35 record in this second go around. I'm not sure how, how we can really evaluate what he did. I think he was sort of a nice bridge from the old owner into the new owner, and now they're going to move on. I started, when this happened yesterday with Herney and the owner, David Tepper, made some comments. I started getting some texts from, like, people who 
maybe have been GMs or want to be GMs, you know, like, what do you, what do you make of what Tepper was saying? So there, there's a few things there. I can go through some of that, but I'm curious, uh, you and I haven't talked about this yet. What were, what was your sort of optics on the firing and where we're going there before we get into maybe the GMs a little bit wider look? I mean, with Marty, great guy. I've known him forever. Um, not really an evaluator by trade per se, but a communicator, a guy that brought people together. And like you said, it was a great bridge for, for everybody really in the building. But I can see this owner being a little different and him not maybe being the right style for him, especially with Matt Rule, the new coach coming on board. And maybe Matt wants kind of his guy to to, to run with for the next four or five years as well. So uh, that's just what Marty is and, and doesn't really mean he's not good at his job. It's just sometimes it's about yep. change and about the fit for sure. But David Tepper's comments, especially when it came to the analytics part of it, kind of gave me a little pause just to, because I'm not sure this is going to play out like, like many want. I think the only dive into this we saw was several years ago in Cleveland when the analytics were prevalent and they collected picks because it made sense on paper, but couldn't evaluate any of them. <laughs> and one year I think picked four or five wide receivers in the same draft because they were the analytics answer to, to what we should do, you know. So I don't know where this is going. My guess is that it will be a, a younger type uh, innovative thinker, which there's nothing wrong with um, to team with Matt Rule. But the analytics part itself I think numbers do matter and analytics matters, but there's got to be a fine combination. You still have to have evaluators. And I think the guy at the top, his strength has to be as an evaluator because he can make up his own mind at the end of the day who he would rather have. You can use analytics all you want, and I do think there's a place for him, but I don't think it replaces evaluations for sure. Yeah, and here's the comment that that, that I saw, at least from David Tepper, uh, or this was what was on, the Panthers put on their website. Panthers owner David Tepper said that after recent conversations with Herney about the structure of the team's football operations, it became clear they had some different ideas. Tepper was careful to say he respected Herney's traditional approach, but hopes to blend more of a data-driven process into the football operation. And I, to me, in the best sense, what that means is I want my GM to be up on the latest uh, whatever yeah. it is, right? That's and, fine. And, yeah. and it doesn't mean that you're going to have a uh, spreadsheet that tells you exactly who you're going to draft every time. But there, there are certainly the more efficient use of data. And try, when you're trying to look at a large number of players, some of them that you haven't evaluated yet, to look for some patterns or look for some things, that's got to be helpful to anybody, right? A hundred percent. And and I had a chance to spend some time uh, in the last year or so with the 49ers people and John Lynch, and, and they have a really nice uh, analytics department. And I got a chance when I was there to visit with some of their analytics guys. And really, they did a great job of describing it to me. Really, analytics is just more information. It's like you said, it's just more information. You can choose what to do with it. You can choose how deep to dive into it, but it's just more information. And me as a, as a GM, I want information. It's just like another scout to me. It's spreadsheet driven. You have to include that just like the other scouts. So I do think there's a place for it for sure. I think Cleveland got a little carried away a couple years back in that they kind of took that and ran with it as we'll, we'll make our team building purely a numbers-based money ball situation. And I don't think money ball w would work in the NFL. Yeah, I think there's a whole language to it. I think my hope is for the long term that 
Um, this isn't an either-or thing or an uncomfortable yeah. thing. I mean, but there are, there are sort of two different languages, and I think one of the one of the issues in organizations in general is that the quote-unquote football people, right, the coaches or people who played the game in the organization, speak a language that is foreign and threatening to the owner. And so what happens is you develop other people in the organization who can speak that, who speak the language of the owner, and there can be this division sometimes that to me is really unhealthy. And so hopefully longer term here, that gets bridged a little bit and there aren't people rolling their eyes when they hear the A word analytics. And you know yeah. what I mean? And, and you, well, I think, yeah, it's yeah. it's clear information that I would value. There's no doubt about it. So I think it's up to the decision makers to make all of that come together and work. May, and I don't know what happened with Marty in his case. Maybe he was against analytics at all costs. I don't know that. No, yeah. But I don't, I don't think that's the case. I just think, you know, there are different ways to use this information. And I keep going back to the way the 49ers guys described it to me. It's just information. You can use it however you want. I agree with you. I, and, and I don't believe that just because we're going to throw an age on people that because a guy's in his 50s, he can't be analytics driven or understand more information. I think that's crazy. You don't have to be young to understand it or to use it to your advantage. That's for sure. Absolutely. You need people in your building who, who un, you know, understand how to use the data and what's important yeah. and not. And and I find there's a lot of information in itself isn't always helpful just because we can track it. Right. I see that some in media, you know, where all of a sudden there's something that can be tracked, you know. And now I think there are so many other yeah, yeah, so many other things, Mike, within the business of of running a football team that you can use the analytics for. It's just not for um, picking players. It can be used so much for, and we see some coaches making decisions based on analytics, but I'm talking about even bigger decisions. Just plug it all into there. I, I have thought over the years of many research projects that I would like to give someone to give me the answers on, but we didn't have an analytics department. So this would be a great way to use it. And again, it's just not, I, I don't think it should be microscopic in that it can only be used to, 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 to build our team or put things together on the field. I think it can be used off the field as well in a great, and, and be a great weapon for everybody in the building. Absolutely. I think we've seen through um, the improved management of salary caps, that's probably, if you look at places where evaluation of trends and numbers have, uh, you know, took root in the NFL uh, the earliest, that was probably where it was. And I think now we don't see a bunch of teams having cap issues. It's been much easier to manage. And there's so many other ways you can do it. You know, right now, I think we'd all agree Brandon Bean would be our exec of the year, right? Yeah, he would get my vote. What they've done there through different avenues. I like the aggressiveness again, That, but that's just me. And I think he's done a great job of knowing exactly what they want and going and getting it. And then uh, his coaches have done a great job of developing what they bring in there together. What do you mean by aggressiveness? Because I, I like that. I mean, I think there's more to that. I, I could just see in your face there, like um, we're not in the same room, everybody, but I can see Randy on a Zoom as we're doing this. <laughs> you're either doing something or you're not, right? I mean, you're either active as a GM or you're not. So what do you mean by that? I like the idea of being in the middle of every deal. And I go back to my early years with Paul Allen in Seattle and his people, Bob Witsit, some of the people that were around him, they kind of directed me to, and I at the time, I wouldn't say I was like this, but they wanted me to be in the middle of every deal, every trade, every free agent deal, try to be in the middle of all these deals. We can always say no at the end of the day, but give us options. Let's think through all the options. And again, it comes down to, that's just more information, right? If you just gather more information, you're going to be more attuned to what your options are to 
make your team better going forward. And I think Brandon Bean and what they've done in Buffalo, they've explored trades. They've signed free agents. They've moved around in the draft when they thought was necessary. They've been very aggressive. And that's not without risk. I mean, a lot of people thought they're crazy to pick Josh Allen. I wasn't one of them. I I didn't think some of the things people were saying about him were necessarily true. But I just like the fact that they've been out there and willing to take chances and willing to try to get better. You're never going to get better if you never take chances and you're never in the middle of these deals. So I just like that part of the aggression. He's used all avenues. The league is set up to get bad teams good in a hurry if you use all your available resources. Like I said, with all these different ways to acquire players – I think not enough teams do this. I think teams have a, a passive approach and and a long-term four or five-year plan. It never gets that far. You never get any better. You're getting rid of players. You're doing this. You're doing that. Let's just add to it. And I think he's done that in Buffalo. And that's why I like his philosophy and, and really the aggressiveness by which he's done it. You know what? And I think this is a great example of uh, being aggressive. But if you, if you do zoom out from 30,000 feet, you can see the plan. I mean, yeah. they've been stable, too. You know what I mean? Right. They, they, yeah, it doesn't mean they're operating ready, fire, aim. Yeah, yeah, no. They, they've done a nice job of, of look, I, there's bumps along the road with Josh Allen. You could have, you know, people were saying he he's not doesn't look like the right guy, decision-making-wise, all those types of things. You could have wavered from that. There were opportunities to waver from it. There were times the offense didn't look good. Uh, right. They were really being carried by their defense. And, and uh, now you can see that, they, they stayed the course, but they didn't stand pat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's a nice blend of those two things. Like there's some really good fundamentals in place over the past few years with the GM and head coach being on the same page, with drafting a quarterback and then trying to actually develop them. Imagine that, Randy, trying to develop yeah. them and not just having them have to either be great or bad in his first year and then making a decision off of that. They had a plan for him. And it really looks like it's paying off. So, um. you know, Sean McDermott gets credit, and I I totally agree with him. He should, but the rest of that coaching staff has been outstanding too. They have not only developed Josh Allen, they've developed a bunch of players, and they've gotten better in a lot of areas, and and they should be credited for that. But you're right; they they seem to be the best organization right now for working together and uh, really laying out the criteria and in executing it. So, yep. to go back full circle, Brandon Bean would definitely get my vote. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Folks can check this out. I wrote a piece last week um, on The Athletic. The headline is NFL General Manager Report, All 32 GMs by Win Percentage. And um, that's a template I think we'll use for a future discussion because we're just going to – we can't go for two hours on the show today uh, <laughs> as much as we would like to, and I'm, I'm sure all the listeners wish we would. Uh, but that's good on Bean. That's good on Herney. Let's move along to our picks for Week 16. And, Randy, we've been killing it on the picks. I don't know if the, if Vegas has been off with the point spreads, but we've we've done really well until this last week. We just – we we went. I think we both went over two. We both took uh, Kansas City and gave three and a half. We weren't really sure what was going to happen when we picked. That could be our excuse on on Drew Brees playing or not. But still, he played was rusty, and they got kind of sort of a late cover. That was a backdoor cover, if I ever saw that. One. Was yeah. bull. Kansas <laughs> yeah. City felt like they were that was garbage that yeah. by ten. But that's gambling. That's why. Yeah. That's no, why. That's right. That's why in in gambling, people sell their advice. Right. The reason yeah. they sell their advice is because you can't beat it over time. Right. right. If you could beat it over <laughs> yeah, time, you wouldn't sell your advice. You would just win and be a billionaire. Um, yeah. And then our other one, which we, we I thought the game sucked, frankly, last week. So some of these matchups just did. So I'm blaming that. But we both took Minnesota, gave some points. Last week, we completely downplayed Chicago. Trubisky, come on. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> is this whole podcast? Is the whole season going to go? If Mr. Trubisky has two great games. Because, by the way, we both picked the Vikings and we're wrong. Um, if he has two good, more good games, are we going to still not talk about him all offseason? Or do we – I mean – Here's my take on that. Yes. <laughs> I'm done with Trubisky. <laughs> I'm done with the Bears. I'm I done talking about him. I expecting this big take like, hey, yeah, you know, no, I've really thought no big through take. this. No yeah. big take. Okay. No, all right. no big take. Well, you can have the Bears. I think it was more a referendum that the Vikings might be what their record says they are. Yeah. You know, this year's version anyway. Yeah. Because they, they have let us down as well. This is a defense that when the season started was supposed to be all that, right? And, and they haven't played like it. Now I know they've missed some guys, some opt-outs, a couple of injuries. But still, this is a 500 team. And I don't know whether you want to blame Kirk Cousins or not, but at some point – you got to get better, right? And they just haven't gotten any better. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I'm, I'm kind of down on the Vikings if you haven't figured that out. I look forward to talking to you next week after Mitch Trubisky has a 600-yard, seven-touchdown game against Jacksonville, <laughs> which is entirely possible. Um, well, where, where's the bet? Let's make a pick on that. That will not happen. Trust <laughs> okay. me. I'm going to make that pick, and not knowing any of your 
Okay. Uh, but he could have a good game. He could, he could have, but you could look at he could have 300 yards next week, or he could have a big game. They could win again, score 30 points like everyone does when they play Jacksonville. So we're still going to well, – I just wanted to make sure I wanted to get that on the record. Uh, Everybody in that division is hoping that happens because that means there's another year in store of just the same kind of Bears talk. So trust me, everybody in the Packers are loving it. Yes. (laughs) You know, our friend Robert Mays, you know, from the – our podcast yeah. buddy here at The Athletic is a big Bears fan, and he's just dying right now. I mean, I know he's just dying <laughs> right now. Uh, but he's with you, I know. Don't sign up for more of this, but you never yeah. know what's going to happen there. All I'm right. afraid they're going to sign up for more. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for, people. Absolutely, absolutely. So our picks this week, we got Indy at Pittsburgh. Is Pittsburgh really a two-and-a-half-point favorite? I mean, I'm— You better I'm, get it down quick. Yeah. I am locking in on that. I think we've—I <laughs> mean, I'm going to speak for you on this one. We're both taking yeah. Indy, right? Get it down quick. Yep, before that number changes for sure. We need to make sure when we talk about this next week that we have that two and a half points or whatever Pittsburgh was given up. Hey, and, but, you know, also I will say... Because it that, might not be that on Friday. I'll say, yeah, I'll say this, though. The, the Steelers with those two Pro Bowl offensive linemen should dominate the non-Pro Bowl DeForest Buckner. Don't you think that's going to happen in this game? You think that's going to come up in the, in the conversation this week? Trust me. <laughs> you think Frank Reich mentioned that? Buckner and his boys are licking their chops, saying Woo! exactly what you just said. I and would batted, love to be a fly on the wall. And the one. batted passes from Ben because of the everything's a short, quick pass. I mean, I think they, this is Mike Tomlin's finest hour if he if they can reverse this in this game. So we got that one. Here's here's one that's a little more tenuous to me. Okay, Seattle's a two point favorite over the Rams. The Rams just lost to the freaking Jets. Okay. 17 and a half point on a long week i might add on an extra you know 10 day buy right yeah if you would have bet on if you would have taken a two team bet on the jets and the rams winning straight up if you would have weighed or the jets um the the jets and the bengal's winning straight up as a combined 31 point underdog um, I saw that. $100 would have got you eight grand. So, dang, yeah, I wish I would have done that. I should look at that every week. <laughs> I know. What is a long shot like that? But the Rams at Seattle, and I I have felt better about the Rams than Seattle for, for a lot of the last couple of months. I think a lot of people have. Um, and I sort of think this, we throw out a little bit of what's happened recently. These are two teams that know each other. But McVay's, Sean McVay's had the upper hand on, on Pete Carroll. Um, I don't feel much better about Seattle's offense after last week. They are getting a little bit of their run game going. Maybe that's the one thing you can hang your hat on for Seattle. I'm, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Seattle is favored by two. If you had to bet the Mueller farm, the Mueller estates, <laughs> um, on the outcome with the points on this, what would you do? I actually think Seattle has progressed. I think their defense is better. I think running the ball obviously helps them. But I'm going to take the Rams in this game. And and for as much as I think Jamal Adams is a difference maker, I think in this matchup, and it's to me it's always about matchups, Sean McVay in the passing game are going to find a way to expose Adams in coverage. And so I think that's going to be hard for the Seahawks to overcome. I think the Rams' attention now has been totally refocused. I think they got slapped in the face and are embarrassed by it. And I think now is the time where they have to either put up or shut up. 
And uh, again, I have nothing against the Seahawks. I root for them in most most weekends. But at this time, if if you force me to uh, yeah. bet the Starbucks, I'm going to take well, the Rams and the points. Yeah, and and sort of the Mueller adage is, is the more desperate team anyway. And I feel like after that, maybe they are. I also think the linebackers, in, in addition to maybe you'd call Jamal Adams, some people might call him a linebacker, but you know Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright have been good players for a long time, but aren't mm-hmm. as fast as they used to be. And I'm sort of with you. You know, I th- I. I think I would take the Rams and the points, even if I, even if Seattle maybe is going to, you know, win by one or two. I still might lean that way um, as well. But that's a fascinating game to me. I mean, because that, that's going to tell us a lot about that division and and what's going on there. Our last one here: Tennessee at Green Bay, Packers three and a half, and I think I'm going to go with Tennessee. I mean, I just feel like you talked about matchups. Mm-hmm. To me, Derrick Henry. If there's if there's one thing I don't want to see if I'm Green Bay, it's Mike Pettin's defense trying to stop Derrick Henry. I just feel like Tennessee has has a pretty interesting formula, and both teams want to have this formula. Even though Aaron right. Rodgers is on Green Bay and he's better than Ryan Tannehill, I don't care what the numbers say. We he's different. He's better. Yep. They both want to play the same way, and Tennessee can play that way even better. Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. I think that's a fascinating game, and I agree with you. I think the matchups. When you said, I don't want to see, I thought you were going to say Derrick Henry running at me in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't want to see that ever. No, I don't think I don't any team to. wants to see that ever. <laughs> this big man is rolling downhill, and, and they've done it better than anybody. I'll say this, another thing about Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill has gone kind of under the radar, but he's had a really good year. I mean, he has proved that I'm not so sure. I wish you were doing your quarterback tier ratings right now. I'll bet you Ryan Tannehill's into that second tier now, inching up in 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 at oh, least yeah. A, yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's a, had a really good year. He made a couple runs last week that you forget how good of an athlete he is. He kid played wide receiver at Texas. No A&M, one gives so. a quarterback credit for running though in the league, including DBs and yeah. and secondary coaches. They all care about passing. I would say this. With that running back, everyone's watching him. You, you watch Tannehill. This would be my comeback to that. If I was if I was pushing back, would be um, a lot of in breaking routes off of play action. It's not like Tannehill's back there dazzling uh, as a pocket passer and and reading everything. Is it? Is it for you? I mean, how, no, how, I'm not saying yeah. he's dazzling, but yeah. I'm seeing the yeah. guy that makes all the throws and can really operate efficiently with what they're doing. I guess maybe it's the yeah. running game that we're trying. We should give him credit for, but. I think Tannehill's had a really good year. I would just say he's under the radar. Yeah, thirty-one sure. touchdowns, five interceptions. If you were to, if you were to anonymize everybody's numbers this year, you would you couldn't tell his apart from the guys who are in the top tier. You know, really, yeah. um, which is a credit to him and them. I think. I think. Uh, um, you got to give them credit. So, who are you picking? By the way, did you did you have a pick? Uh, uh, it's Green Bay's favorite by three. You almost got out of this without being. You almost got out of this without making a pick. You know, but no, but no, I'm Green not gonna, Bay's I'm gonna, I'm by gonna three give and you a half. Pick. Yeah, Green Bay. I'm just going to add one thing. I did kind of a little an, uh, an exercise in my own office the other day of quarterbacks, 32 or younger, that I would want for the next five years, and then I put them in prioritize and prioritized them all. Okay. And I could only have 10. But let me just say this: Tannehill was in that. He's only 32 years wow. old. Wow, what about they're, that? They're, I thought this exercise was really telling because there's a couple guys that, gosh, I, and it sent me back. He's only 32. Well, he can go in. There's a couple other guys that are in that. Yeah, Stafford's around that. Uh, yes, he's 32. He's You're 32, so he's above it, right? Yeah, he, he's in it. I'm putting he's him in. in. Oh. 32 or younger. Okay. You know, Russell younger. Wilson's another one. He's 32. So there was three 32-year-old quarterbacks in there that that. 
Yeah. There's a couple others that might surprise you. They're just an exercise for down the road. Maybe we hit on it. Yeah, I like that. Podcasts, I like that. But Watch, I'll write it, a column on that in two weeks to take credit for the idea. And you'll be like, Sando, <laughs> what the? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, having said all that, I'm picking the Packers, okay? <laughs> I just think the Packers are on a roll offensively. That I think it's going to be a little bit of a shootout. But I think Green Bay is going to be... I think they can score more points. Yep. I think the running back at Green Bay is really good, by the way. And I know he made the Pro Bowl, yeah. so that's not a great No, but he hasn't, it doesn't feel like it's been rolling as much for them. And, no. And sometimes we get, like you say, sometimes in scouting, people have their view of a team or a player and they don't change it you know, for too long. I feel like mm-hmm. that's me a little bit on Green Bay. I feel like I felt last year they weren't really a 13-3 and team. I've, I have felt like they should have done more to help Rodgers right, with their draft pick and that type yep. of thing. And yet we just have to acknowledge that they're freaking good and they're winning 80% of their games with Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur, as somebody who's not an experienced coach, seems to manage the game pretty well. Uh, There's none of the BS about is Rodgers happy and all that. You know what I mean? I think it's it's a tribute to Matt LaFleur that he's kind of checked his ego. It's not about him. And I think that's a great move. I see some other teams where the coach kind of sometimes wants to make it about him. Matt's not like that. He, he gets cussed by a lot of people. He gets, you know, kind of disrespected. I don't think he really cares. He's going to just do what he has to do. And, and yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers' team. So throw it on Aaron Rodgers. And he's done a good job of that. I agree. Yeah. And this is going to be, you know, kind of a game, too, where, remember, he came from Tennessee. So there's going to be great familiarity uh, with Lafleur with Tennessee, right? And some of the matchups. And yep. Tennessee's defense is no great shakes. So uh, maybe you're going to be right. But I think Tennessee hangs around, and maybe maybe they even if they lose, they keep it within the three and a half. It's time for Ask the GM. Let's get to our last segment, Ask the GM, Randy. This week we have a good question. Did Marcus Mariota's performance for the Raiders against the Chargers put him on the radar for someone next season? Heck, I before the season, I thought, he might end up starting be their starter, you know. I know it didn't work out that way for him, but um, what, what's sort of the optics on them for you? I thought I saw a, a team with a little more juice when Mariota got, got in the game. And I, I commend John Gruden for kind of tailoring a package around what he can do. I thought when the Raiders got in trouble in that game last Thursday night against the Chargers, it was in the red zone or on the goal line when John went away from the athleticism of Mariota. Mariota played at a different speed than everybody else. You forget how athletic this kid was. Fresh legs, half man. The, yeah, half the teams in the league, the year he came out, trust me, had him rated ahead of Jameis Winston. So if the Bucks had picked him instead of Jameis, there wouldn't have been that wouldn't have caused an uproar. So this guy's a really talented player. It didn't fit and it didn't work out well for him there in Tennessee. But I think we saw a future for Mariota somewhere. And I think this game is a giant game. Obviously, I I think he's going to play this week, right? And so Gruden gets a week of game planning with Marcus Mariota. And you know, John, better than any of us. You know what he thinks of these quarterbacks. I mean, Mariota, I think, was one of his favorites anyway. So as evidence, they paid him, what, $17 million or something like that in the offseason to come be the backup over a couple years. So so they're willing to pay the money. And that comes on Gruden's evaluation of him. So I think Mariota did prove, and you could tell by the reaction of his former teammates in Tennessee and some of the Raider people, they like him. They got a little juice behind him. And uh, yeah, they think Mariota can lead them. And it'll be interesting to see what happens this week for them in a uh, Taysom Hill type maybe game plan. Uh, Only I think this kid's an NFL passer, uh, what what the Raiders can do with him. So I, I think he has 
put him on the radar to answer the question. And how high up the radar he goes will go a long ways, uh, you know, this week will go a long ways for determining that. Is there any question with you and who starts for the Raiders week one next year? Maybe. Really? Because you've been you've been a yeah, more no, of a like car supporter yep. than some have been. No doubt. I love where Carr has come from, and I love what Gruden has done with him. Um, again, I want to see more of Mariota, but I'm I'm not. You know, they got a lot of needs there too. So let's say Mariota has a couple more weeks like that. Are you then allowed to maybe think about trading Derek Carr? Some thought that Gruden wanted to do that a year ago. I think so, I, I do, and I and you know I know John well, but I have I have no inside information on on what he thinks about uh, what he would do with Carr. But I do. I've always thought that. I mean, John's always has, has a wandering eye for with quarterbacks, right? He never seems to love the one he's with as yeah. much, um, and so um, I think he knows what Carr is, knows what the ups and downs are, and Carr's maybe maxed out. Maybe he's got about the most you can get out of Carr, which is pretty good. It's been pretty yeah. good, but would he maybe? Does John want to sign up for that for the rest of his tenure in in, in Las Vegas? I don't think so. I think John uh, doesn't mind having a new girlfriend, you know. And yeah. you know, you know what I mean. And, you said it, the wandering eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe you know, Mariota's obviously somebody that he's very familiar with. I mean, I was there at the Gordon quarterback camps when he right. had him in there, and and I think you know he he liked him a lot, obviously, and brought him in. So. I'm with you on that, Randy. We uh, are just about out of time. Listeners, you can find Randy Mueller, former NFL Exec of the Year, co-host of the Football GM Podcast at Randy Mueller underscore. Also, MuellerFootball.com. Lots of good little nuggets and columns on there you should check out. I am Mike Sando, senior writer for The Athletic. You can find me at Sando NFL. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.